um, working our way down through chapter 12, and this evening we will hit uh, a couple of three more verses together this evening, Lord willing. And uh, let us read the very words of God himself, Revelation chapter 12. Look there, if you would, at verse number 7. We'll be starting with verse number 7, 8, 9, and 10. These are the words of God. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a, vo a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and the strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Well, brethren, again, there's always, as usual, a whole bunch of glorious truths uh, contained here in this portion of Scripture. Now, we remember, brethren, that Revelation chapter 12 is indeed a chapter that is wrapped in conflict and war. We have seen this from the very beginning, verse 1, all the way through our text this evening, as we're going to see. In verses 1 through 6, John's inspired pen, you remember, recorded the conflict between the nation of Israel, who was pictured as a pregnant woman travailing to give birth to the man-child, who, as we have seen, amen, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the Jewish nation brought forth, the nation of Israel brought forth, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we remember Satan there being, if you will, called the great dragon. And he's standing before the nation of Israel to devour the child as soon as he is born, according to the truth here that John penned. And so, again, we see this continual war and this battle that's taking place. And here in verses 7 through 9, it continues. And uh, again, it's a most interesting portion of Scripture. As we're introduced to Michael, the archangel, and uh, we're going to take a look at that tonight, whom God uses as we saw last week, brethren, to defeat his unequal, God's unequal, his inferior, if you will, adversary who has been warring against God since the very beginning. It's quite an amazing thing. Michael was indeed, and again, our text and our context is concerning the Jewish nation. That's what it's all about. And Michael, as you know, was ordained by God as a guardian angel of Israel. And so again, hence the continuation of the text of our context, which is the nation of Israel. And so again, we see this taking place in their place during the tribulation. I want you to see this in the Old Testament. Again, the archangel Michael, whom God used, it's interesting when you look at scripture and you think of the angels who are named by name, there's uh, only three of them that we can think of. Amen. If I asked you tonight, you would know who they are. The archangel Michael then there's who? Gabriel. Amen. Gabriel. And you remember Gabriel. He plays an important role here because Gabriel here in the Old Testament is the one who reveals to Daniel, uh, if you will, this whole scenario that's taking place. Let's look at that together this evening. Again, Gabriel and Daniel, who are central themes in the book of Daniel. Uh, Gabriel, Arch the archangel Michael and Daniel are the central themes in that portion of Scripture. Look there, if you would, Daniel chapter 10. We'll just look at a couple of them here this evening as far as the Lord using uh, the archangel Michael, which he did in the Old Testament, and he's going to use here to defeat Satan and throw him and cast him out of heaven, which is a most glorious thing when you consider that. Look at Daniel chapter 10, if you would. Let's just read together here verses 10 through 13. Daniel chapter 10, verses 10 through 13. And we're going to back up, and you'll see where Gabriel then engages uh, and comes to the, if you will, the assistance of Daniel and the, and the purposes of God in that here in our text. Look at Daniel chapter 10. Look at verse number 10 there, if you would. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved. Isn't that interesting, the glorious language that God uses here concerning Daniel? He's greatly beloved, the Bible says, amen. Understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright. For unto thee I am now sent. Well, who is it that was sent to him? And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. And there he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel. Again, there's that, that glorious statement that we see in Scripture over and over again. When an angel shows up, it's always those two words, Fear not. Remember when, uh, well, we'll look at that. Look what he says there, verse 12. Then said unto me, Fear not, Daniel. 
from the first day that thou didst seen my heart to understand and chasten thyself before thy God. Thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me on one and twenty-one days. Now, again, this is where Daniel's trying to figure out, okay, the prince of Persia, who is the prince of Persia? Well, it's Gabriel back in chapter 8 who tells him who it is. It's actually a demon that's, that is, uh, if you will, resisting Daniel, and therefore God sends Michael, amen, to assist Daniel in the purposes of God and the purposes of the nation of Israel. Again, watching over the nation of Israel. Look what it says there, verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now again, brethren, as we look at the text, and if we could go back into Daniel chapter 8, in fact, just turn back there. We'll see Gabriel himself who is uh, interpreting the vision that Daniel is having. Again, we see Michael, the archangel, and Gabriel being used of God. But uh, Michael particularly, again, is one whom God ordained to be the helper of Israel. Again, the context of our text is Israel and what's taking place with Israel during the time of the Great Tribulation. Look at verse 15 there, if you would, of Daniel chapter 8. The Bible says, And it came to pass when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning. Then behold, there stood before me his appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of uh, Uliah, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came I was afraid and fell upon my face. There it is again. Gabriel the angel shows up, and they're not buddies. He's fearful. But he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for that the vision of the end shall be the vision. So again, we see here Gabriel coming and interpreting the vision for Daniel, saying that the archangel Michael will come and he will be of great assistance to Daniel and to God's purposes and to the nation of Israel during this amazing time. In fact, if you flip over to chapter 9, Gabriel appears again. Not only does he give Daniel the interpretation of the vision, but then he gives him another interpretation. Again, Gabriel being used of God to, again, if you will, to advance his glorious purposes, assisting uh, Daniel along with, here, the archangel Michael will come. Look there at verse 21. Look at chapter 9. Look at verse, well, verse number 20. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for a holy mountain, uh, for the holy mountain of my God, yet whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, going back to where we were in chapter 8, being caused to fly swiftly and touch me about the time of the evening oblation. Look there, if you would, again, brothers and sisters, Clear down through verse 23. And at the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. There it is again, that glorious terminology concerning Daniel. Therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. He goes on, doesn't he? The 70 weeks, he goes on and speaks of these things. So we have again these two angels, the angel Gabriel and the archangel Michael, who is uh, central in the prophecies, he's central in watching over the nation of Israel as they were going through the Old Testament. And even now, we see him again here in the book of Revelation, being one who is indeed going to be a protector of the nation of Israel. Now, remember Gabriel, just a couple of notes on him. You remember what Gabriel announced? Does anybody, it's Wednesday evening, can I ask, does anybody remember what, the, what uh, Gabriel announced in the New Testament? He's found four times in the Bible, just as, just as the archangel Michael is, but Four times he is seen, but Gabriel announced what? Who did he first announce to? He announced the birth of John the Baptist, right, to Zechariah. Later on in the text in Luke, he announces what? The, uh, the amazing upcoming birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God uses Gabriel, he uses Michael, uh, as he does here in our text this evening. It's quite an amazing thing. Look at another one. Look at Daniel chapter 12. Again, the archangel Michael, a protector of the nation of Israel. Look at verse number one, the great tribulation, of course, this has to do with, again, our text, where we're going to be at this evening. Again, Daniel here, chapter 12, look at verse number one. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth up for thy, what? 
for thy people again. And there shall be a time of trouble. Again, that is, that is referencing to the great tribulation, referencing to the time of the place of the nation of Israel. But who is it that's standing there, standing up for God's people? None other than Michael the archangel, who in the Old Testament and here in our text is indeed a protector and a, a one who God uses to watch over the nation of Israel. There was a nation even so at that time, at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And so again, and we see one more reference to Michael the archangel, and I want us to see that. So we see him here in Daniel, we see him uh, in, in our text. And look over here, if you would, at Jude chapter 9, again a very familiar portion of scripture to us. He again, for the last time, is shows up, and it's interesting here as we look at this text that the archangel Michael is contending for the body of Moses, and uh, there's been many who wondered why is the archangel Michael contending for the body of Moses, what's taking place there? Well, uh, I can't be completely sure, but I do know that the scripture says that he's contending with the devil himself, again, concerning uh, a most important person, a most important character, what? through the nation of Israel. Again, going back to the nation of Israel. Look at Jude there, if you would. Look at Jude 9. In fact, this is what the Bible says here concerning him here. Again, a very familiar portion of Scripture to all of us. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed uh, about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. Now, the reason I read that portion of Scripture is because some believe that Michael is indeed Christ. And uh, I can assure you, brethren, that you look in Scripture, okay, the archangel Michael, Jude just told us that he dared not bring an accusation, amen. He just said, the Lord rebuke you. Uh, you can look in Scripture, brothers, over and over and over again. Who is it that rebuked Satan over and over and over again? None other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So the archangel Michael is not Christ. And again, people try and bring that in. They try and tie that together. But even here, the archangel Michael, the Lord Jesus Christ, over and over and over again. What did he say in Matthew 16? Remember when Peter comes up and goes, hey... No, never be, Lord. You're never going to have to go to the cross. You're never going to have to die for the sins of your people. And what did he say? Get thee behind me, Satan. The Lord Jesus had no problem because he is the authority. He is supreme over, the, over Satan, obviously. And he rebuked him over and over and over again. So the archangel Michael that we see in our text, that we see in Scripture, is indeed ordained of God to be the instrument by which he uses to protect the nation of Israel in the Old Testament and surely here in the battle in heaven, which is the most amazing thing when you consider our text this evening, this war, this battle that continues. And I want you to notice something glorious. Not only is Michael there and his, are his angels there, and there's, there's going to take this, this battle, this war that takes place in heaven, but I want you to see this interesting statement back in our text, Revelation chapter 12, that John, as he's led by the Spirit of God, makes. Again, one that we sometimes, I think, can read over and not really you know, have it grasp a hold of us as it ought to. And I want you to notice verse number 8. So there's this war that takes place. Michael and his angels are fighting against the dragon and his angels. And brethren, this, of course, is taking place in heaven. And look at verse number 8. And prevailed not... Neither was their place found any more in heaven. Now, brother, that is a most glorious statement that John makes here, for sure. He tells us that, that Satan and his demons, those who, the third that we talked about, those who rebelled against God, amen, he tells us here that they cannot and they will not win the war in heaven. That's the glorious thing, brothers, as we pray together and we consider what God is doing, amen. His battles will be won. And they're going to be one in heaven, and they're going to be one on the earth. And we'll see that later on in the book of Revelation. This is dealing particularly with the war, the battle that's taking place in heaven. And he makes a statement, and there's no place found anymore in heaven, which is a glorious thing. It is here, brethren, at the beginning of the great tribulation, that, that Satan and his demons are indeed cast out of heaven to never, ever Never, ever, let's say it again, brethren, together, never, ever to appear in heaven ever again. 
which is an amazing thing when you consider the limited access that he's had up to this point. It's a stunning thing when you consider that. Satan and his minions have indeed, as one pastor said, conducted a limited relay service between the heaven and the earth. It's a stunning thing to grasp and comprehend and try and understand that they had limited access to God. And we see this in Scripture over and over and over again. And I want you to see a couple of particular, well, two that we would know very famously. Job, of course, he comes and stands before he comes in, with, and we'll look at this text tonight. But look here at 1 Kings chapter 22. Again, we see this, <laughs> this access, which is, you know, again, stunning when you consider and you think about this. This final banishment from heaven is a glorious victory for the Lord God himself. Look there at 1 Kings. I want you to see this. Again, this limited access that we see. And this is just a couple of portions of scripture here that we see this. 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22. And again, if you study this out, uh, I believe that God cannot lie. It is not in his character. It's not in his nature. It is not anything that God himself would ever do. The Bible says that God, what? Cannot lie. And so as we look here at this text in 1 Kings chapter 22, we find there a lying spirit that is coming and standing before God himself, which again, there's this access that we don't completely understand, but it's something that has been traversing back and forth throughout the ages of Scripture. 1 Kings 22, look at verse number 19 there if you would. And he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. So again, we are in the presence of God. God is sitting on his throne. The Bible says here, And I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and, and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this manner, and another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before God stood before the Lord. Now, keeping in mind, brethren, again, there are some who think that God, and that this is God in some form, some theophany, but again, if you're consistent, God cannot lie. But he will use anything to his glory to accomplish his purposes, and that's what he does here. This spirit comes and stands before him, and look what the Bible says there. And he, there came forth the spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth. I will be a lying spirit. This is what it says, In the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets. And the Lord has spoken evil concerning thee. And again, we see here that God, using his sovereign hand, will use and will accomplish his glorious purposes. But he himself could never lie. That's totally contrary to his nature. But there is a spirit that comes and stands before him. Again, access before the Lord. Look at Job. Look at Job. Again, another very familiar portion of scripture to us. Look at Job chapter 1. And again, we see this traversing, this back and forth, if you will, this, uh, as that pastor said, this a limited relay service between the earth and heaven. And again, we see this access where in our text tonight, that is stopped, that is done away with, never ever again will there ever be access for him to stand, as we're going to see in our text, day after day, night after night, accusing the brethren in the presence of God. Praise his holy name. Look at Job chapter 1, look at verse number 6 there. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And again, you read these texts and you go, Okay, how, does that, how did that exactly work? I don't know exactly how that worked. But we do know the Bible tells us that Satan came in the presence of the Lord, and he's standing there. And the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? So again, we see Satan coming with the sons of men to the very presence of God, and they're conversing. Look at it happens again. Look at chapter 2. It happens again. Again, this flowing, if you will, of this uh, uh, limited access for him to enter 
and to stand before God himself, which is quite a stunning thing when you think about that, especially when you consider that there is no evil that God can allow. And yet here we have this being who is evil upon evil, which we're going to see in his description tonight in the four titles that he's given and the nature of those titles that John gives us. But here he is, standing here in the oldest book in the Bible, standing before God, questioning about a man who eschews evil, one who is upright, one who is righteous, Job himself. Look at chapter 2, verse number 1. And there was a day when the sons of God came to the present to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered, The Lord said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down, in it. So again, we have Satan who's roaming the earth, but here in the text, he's standing before God, presenting himself and saying, hey, what about this guy, Job? Again, this limited access. And again, as we look at our text, look at Revelation chapter 12, again, this glorious banishment that is finally completed, that God in his sovereignty, again, has always ordained to take place. But it is here in our text in Revelation chapter 12 where they're cast out of heaven forever and ever and ever again. Never ever to be allowed into the presence of God again. Look at Revelation chapter 12. Look at verse number 10. Look at here. And this is such an amazing descriptive thing here that we see. Look there at verse number 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven. You see where that voice is? That's in heaven. These, these demons and Satan himself are being cast out, never ever to be, to come in the presence again. Saying in a loud voice in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Do you see that there? You don't understand that Satan is standing there. <laughs> and I was, when I was thinking this through and just thinking about the false accuser, which we're going to see his name here, come up in the, in the description that's coming in the next portion of the text. Think about this for a moment. But for the grace of God, as he is standing there accusing you and I of our sin. You know what's interesting about that? He's not lying about that. Do you understand that? That we are all sinners. <laughs> and that he's saying, look what they are. They're sinners. Look what they're doing. And by the grace of God alone, because we're covered by the blood of Christ, all of that is done away with. But he's not lying because we're all sinners. It's stunning when you think the liar, the father of lies, is standing there saying a truth because all of us have enough sin to condemn us to hell apart from the grace of God. But here's this accuser of the brethren standing there day and night, the Bible says, reminding God, accusing us, his children who are covered in the blood of our sin which is quite an amazing thing. Look what it says there. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Think of this for a moment, the glorious victory that we have in this little statement, that he who was our accuser day and night is cast out no more to be accusatory. Amen? Because that is banished and completely done away with. God's forever banishment of Satan from heaven does indeed fix and settle, brethren. Again, this war, this is what chapter 12, this battle, this war that we're seeing, this conflict, this portion of Scripture then settles and fixes the glorious battle, the glorious victory that God has and will have and will always have and will continue to have and has in eternity past, present, and future over the evil one himself as he fixes and settles this whole battle, this whole thing that's been waging on, brethren, listen, against God before there was ever a world. Think of that for a moment. Think of that for a moment. Think of that, what that means. Before there was ever a world, this battle has been taking place. Remember, he, before the world was created, he said, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to be in the seat of God. I'm going to take God's place. It's amazing, isn't it? Here in this glorious text, we see that all come to an end. God just totally smothers it in his glory and in his victorious sovereign power. It's a, it's a glorious thing. It's something I get excited about because, again, it reminds me over and over again that the Lord our God is indeed sovereign and all-powerful and all. 
things. Look there now at verse number 9 of Revelation chapter 12. So we see this battle, this war that takes place. Satan cannot and will not prevail. The archangel Michael and his angels toss him on out of heaven. And there's a place not found anymore ever again for him to come in the presence of the holiness of God. But look at verse number 9. What a glorious thing John does here by describing for us this evil one. Verse number 9. And the great dragon, that's one, was cast out, that old serpent, two, called the devil, three, and Satan, four, which deceiveth the whole world, the Bible says. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Amen. Do you see where the battle's heading now? The battle moved from heaven. He's been banished from heaven, but now it's moving to the earth, which in the end, in Revelation chapter 20, Revelation chapter 21, he will be completely banished. That will be God's victory over him as he banishes him to what? To the lake of fire as he tosses him in. But right now the battle is moving to the earth. Cast out of heaven, here he is sitting there. And it's an amazing thing that our religious affections are amazed, at least mine are. <laughs> when I read a text like verse number 9, and think of how glorious it is, that in one verse, with the stroke of John's pen, the Spirit of God reveals for us four names and the ungodly nature and the ungodly activities, brother, of the evil one and that accompanies the names of the archfiend and hater of God's elect. Think of this, brethren, for a moment. We have no idea. We cannot come... Well, we can have an idea because the scripture tells us how much he hates us. But for us to comprehend that is a stunning thing. We cannot comprehend the hatred that our enemy has for our souls and for God and for the Lord Jesus Christ and anything about God as we're going to see here in one of his names. He is opposed to God completely in every aspect. Every aspect. That's his nature. That's what he does. He opposes God in everything good. He's first called there a great dragon. Again, we looked at that a little bit. A dragon is a creature that is associated with fierceness. I mean, these words are not by mistake. The Lord had John put these in here to be descriptive so that we can grasp and get an understand of how evil and how much we are hated by him. And how much the nation of Israel, where our context is, is hated by him. It's an amazing thing. It's a creature that is associated with fierceness, brutality, and violence. It's an amazing thing in death and destruction. A most fitting description for the great dragon. Second of all, he's called there what? The old serpent. So it's the great dragon, number one. The old serpent, that old serpent, number two. This, of course, is a reference to what? This is a reference, of course, back to the evil one's first appearance in the book of Genesis. This is exactly where this goes back to. You see how long the battle and the war has been waging? It's a stunning thing. The old serpent, it takes us right back to that which began in the Garden of Eden concerning that battle and that war that took place. In fact, if we look there, it's an amazing thing. The old serpent is an image of that which is evil, that which is contemptible, that which is underhanded. Brethren, listen. That which is, if you will, sly and deceitful, above deceitful. That's literally what that name means, the old serpent. It is an image of one who is sly and deceptive, above deception. It's a stunning thing. See, we're getting a glorious picture, aren't we, of the enemy of our souls. That's what this is. It's a stunning thing to see the deception going on around us, isn't it? Take a look, brother, and I mean practically speaking. Almost all, well, again, we pray for the good Bible-believing churches. There's still some there that are around America all around, but for the most part, these churches are being deceived above deception. And the scary thing about a deception is you don't know when you're being deceived. That's what's scary about it. It's a stunning thing, isn't it, when you consider that? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Let's look there quickly. The old serpent, 
an image of one who is deceptive above deceptive, one who is sly and underhanded. Look here at Genesis chapter 1. I like to, I like to read this just because uh, it's so glorious to hear the words of God. Genesis chapter 3, if you would there. I, I think I said Genesis chapter 1, but it's Genesis chapter 3, obviously. Look at verses 1 and 2. Look at how it starts. Now the serpent. <laughs> there he is. Amazing, sly, deceptive, underhanded. Look what happens. Was more subtle than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, and ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Look at verse 2. The serpent here is mentioned four times. Just to make it clear who this is. And his character and his nature. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. And of course we know, I don't need to go into this, she, had, she simply adds to what God said. But here is the serpent there, the sly one, the deceptive one, which is exactly the description that we get in our text tonight, don't we? In Revelation chapter 12, It is he who deceiveth the whole world. That's his nature. That's what he does. That's why, brethren, it is so important that we cling to the scriptures. Verse number four, he's mentioned again. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Look at verses 12 and 13. Look at here. Again, here he is having a conversation with Eve. The serpent mentioned four times. And look at the description. Look what Eve herself says concerning the name serpent. Look what she says in verse number 12. And the man said, well, here we have, of course, we remember the blame game, right? It's like this. <laughs> you know, Lord, it's one of these things, you know what I mean? Hey, that woman you put here with me, yeah, look what it says there in verse 12. And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat, you know, blaming Eve. Look at verse 13. And the Lord said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman, and the woman said, the serpent, what? beguiled me. That word beguiling means to deceive beyond deception. This is his name. This is what the name serpent means. A great deceiver and beguiler of those who are lost and walking in the wilderness of what they perceive as truth. And they are so far from the truth, it isn't even funny. It is a most befitting name. In fact, Revelation chapter 12, again, let me read that again befitting his character, befitting the name, befitting what he does. Revelation chapter 12, again, this is glorious. He gives us the name, and then we see there, don't we, brethren, a descriptive of his character, which you see there in verse, verse number 9. The Bible says there, And the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. That's his character. That's what... The word serpent means one who deceives. It's an amazing thing. Third thing we see there in our text, the third thing that he's called there is what? The devil. And again, brethren, that word, they are not here by mistake. It is a glorious description of the nature and character of the enemy of your soul. The enemy of God's, the nation of Israel's soul that we're talking about here in our text. The word devil literally means to cast through. He is a slanderer, a false accuser, which is exactly what verse 10 says. Look there again. Isn't it interesting how God would never leave us void? He just fills it in. He says, here's what the name is. Here's the character of that name and the nature of who he is. Look at verse 10 again. Not to repeat it, but we're going to repeat it. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused the brothers night and day in the presence of God. This, again, is his nature. That's literally what the word devil means. He is, indeed, an accuser. In fact, in our text, again, his description is given. He's an accuser. Finally, we see there the fourth thing, Satan. He is the great dragon, one who is most evil. He's the old serpent, one who is deceiver back in the garden. He's the devil. He is a false accuser. 
always his nature, always his character. And finally, Satan, number four, that word means an adversary. Literally, that's what that means. Again, we see the character, don't we, of the enemy of our souls, the enemy of the nation of Israel, the enemy of Christ. This is indeed the depth of the battle that we're seeing in, in, in uh, Revelation chapter 12. He hates God. He hates Christ. He hates the people of God. He hates everything about God. And certainly, he opposes, if you will, the word of God, the plan of God, and the people of God. Now, brethren, the glorious news is this. Even in the time of the great tribulation, we have one who, and even now during the church age, there's another word that is the opposite of adversary. Anybody know what it is? It starts with an A. It's advocate. Advocate. This is the beautiful thing of our text. The gospel is everywhere. It's there. The accuser of the brethren. He's been cast down. He's all of these things, and yet he's an accuser, and yet we have one. The Lord Jesus Christ, the man-child who is to be delivered, who is indeed an advocate for the people of God. And I want you to see this, and we'll close tonight. We're running quickly out of time. But four times in the scripture, brother, four times we are told that the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed the advocate of the people of God. Over and over again, we see it in Romans. We see it in Hebrews. And, of course, we see it in 1 John. Let's turn there and take a look. The advocate. We have the accuser, but we also have the advocate. And it's an amazing thing. That word advocate literally means one who pleads the cause of another. <laughs> Aren't you thankful tonight? Remember, brothers, again, our accuser <clears throat> is not speaking lies when he says they're sinners. Because <laughs> we are. Again, it's the grace of God. And it is that grace that's applied to the sinner, amen, that eliminates that which we are being accused of. Because we have what? An advocate, one who speaks and has taken our place and stands on our behalf. This is glorious. I just, whoo, I got chills. It just makes me so grateful, so thankful to think where we could all be tonight, brethren, apart from the grace of God, apart from God calling your name, apart from God drawing you and, and taking that mind that's at enmity with him and, 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 and renewing that mind, taking away that enmity, taking that heart of stone. And Oh, brothers, we don't even, we read it, but we don't comprehend the depth of what it means when a man is dead or a woman is dead in their sins and transgressions. We can't even begin to understand the glorious work of God in all of that. But he sends this advocate. Let's read this together. First John, if you will, chapter 2. I got to get over there. First John, chapter 2. Look at here again, these glorious words that John writes under the inspiration of God. First John, chapter 2, look at verse number 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. See, this is the thing, brothers. <laughs> I don't want to go off chasing a rabbit, but this is the reality of it. A true child of God, brethren, does not want to sin. Our natures have been changed. Sometimes we desire to do that and we do that, but after it's done, there's a great deal of guilt. There's a great deal of conviction by the Spirit of God because you are a child of God. And that's what John was saying the whole time. We don't live a lifestyle of that, but we sin. But we have this, brethren, going by the grace of God on our behalf. Verse 1, And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Verse 2, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, the Jews, but also for the sins of the whole world, the Gentiles. Think of that, brethren, tonight. We have an accuser who has had entrance to heaven, who has had access to the Lord in some fashion to stand and accuse his children all through the eons of time, going back to the first book, well, <clears throat> the oldest book in the Bible, Job. This is what he does. And here tonight we have an advocate, the Bible says, one who pleads the cause for us before any tribunal, <laughs> which is the tribunal of God, or any judicial court, which is the judicial court of God. 
He is there as our advocate. Satan deceives. And this is his habitual, continual activity, brethren. Listen. He lures many. Again, this is the really the practicality for our day, for us, and it's going to be a reality and a practicality surely in the great tribulation in our text tonight. He deceives. This is his habitual and continual activity. He lures many to their own destruction by way of deceitful spirits and doctrines of devils. (laughs) That's what Paul said. In the latter days, that's what Paul said. So this is how he does it. Again, being deceived and thinking that you're right. Thinking that it's good and holy when in fact it is anything but that. He seduces them to believe in him and not in the holy God of holy writ. He he deceives the whole world. Listen, brother. Sometimes it is very evil. But for the most part, he deceives the whole world by a perceived beauty and goodness without God. Think of that for a moment. Process what that means. He deceives the whole world with this process, with a perceived goodness without God. And brethren, we know that there is no goodness without God. Amen? There's none good. We see what happens when man is trying, and I need to stop. Man is trying in his own way, apart from God, doing that which he thinks is good. Brother Keith, who would, in a million years, Bev, when you were growing up, when I was growing up, these things that you guys are dealing with is on a whole nother level. Do you realize that if someone would try to do the things that they are trying to do now, which they are calling good, which is perverts, going after young children and different things like that, do you realize they would have been in jail? Right, Bev? You would have been in jail for that. You would have never been able to do that. The society would have never, ever allowed that. The pedophiles have always been in the closet, but they were in the closet being restrained by the holiness and goodness of God. Not anymore. That which is perceived to be good without God is nothing but a deceptive evil from Satan himself. Men cannot be good apart from God. It's not possible. And we see that here again and we close. I want to read verse, verse, number, uh, verse number 10 because I want you to see again as this uh, victory is won in heaven. I want you to see the reaction and then we'll, we'll Lord willing pick this up next week. Uh, here in verse number 10, <clears throat> Revelation chapter 12. Look there, if you would, at verse number 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation. Look at this, brother. Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Amazing, brother. They see what's happened. That, that in this victorious battle with the archangel Michael and the demons being cast out, Satan being cast out of heaven, what do they do with the glorious announcement of the coming millennial kingdom here, which is what we're going to see. This is what this is. It's an amazing thing. It causes them to break out in praise. It causes them to, great, to break out in great glorious praise of sovereign God. And what do they praise him for? Well, they sing of salvation. (laughs) That's something we should praise the Lord for. Amen. That's something we should sing unto God. They're singing unto him because of salvation. The salvation provided by the coming Christ. They praise God's strength, his power, his omnipotence over his arch, well, his inferior enemy, our arch fiend enemy, if you will, his inherent power that will crush indeed the stroke of his pen in one verse, to really reveal once again who the evil one really is and what his activities really are. Amazing. 
the devil, the old serpent. Stunning, isn't it? Satan. Just a stunning thing for us to behold, and we thank you for that. We know what's going to take place. Again, his character hasn't changed. And it will be the same in the great tribulation. And we thank you for our text where, you, again, you show your faithfulness to Israel. Whereby you would take the archangel Michael, he who you ordained to watch over and be the instrument you used in the Old Testament, even now here in the book of Revelation. The instrument you use, again, to watch over the nation of Israel. And Father, we thank you for that tonight as well. Thank you for the salvation that they're going to praise you for and they are praising you for. Thank you for the kingdom that is to come. We praise you for that. Father, we again pray for those this evening who are lost, those who are without Christ, those who were as we Gentiles were, as Paul wrote, without, prom without the promise, without God world and father we thank you that the lord jesus christ put on flesh that he died that he was buried that he rose again from the dead and during this beautiful time the church age in which we live otherwise known also as the time of the gentiles that there are many who are being saved many gentiles and yes many of the Jewish elect that you have called out who are turning and trusting in Christ. They are indeed seeing and looking upon the one whom they have pierced. Not like we're going to see, though, during the time of the great tribulation. Father, again, we thank you for your saving mercies. We thank you for your graciousness. And now, Lord, we pray as we leave this place that we will be holy people, that we will be set apart people, sanctified people. Keep us all from bringing shame upon your name as we look around and continue to see people falling over and over and over again. Oh, Father, we pray with meekness and humility that you would keep us from the evil one and his schemes to embarrass your name. Father, we love you now and pray for relief from our sin, maybe the sin that is besetting us even right now and maybe has for a period of time. Grant unto us repentance. Father, we pray and ask all of these things. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen and amen.
Okay, you got to 